who our God is and who our Savior is. Well, good morning. I think I know everybody here. And uh, those of you who are joining us live feed, uh, glad you're here with us as well. Uh, just one thing before I get into today's message, um, and I'm not looking to embarrass anybody, but it's really cool to have the Alderman uh, rhythm section over here today. And uh, this is William's first Sunday on the drums, and so that's, that's really cool. And, you know, one of the, I think, the strengths and highlights of our, our church is we are a family church, and uh, it's just neat to have sons and daughters, uh, moms and, you know, daughters to, to worship together and to say, this is normal, and it's not about the music, it's about bringing glory to God. So here we are. The coronavirus is upon us. And maybe you're sick of talking about it, hearing about it. Maybe you think it's overblown. I was in Costco yesterday, and uh, let's see, we have the picture there. There we go. I mean, the line was all the way back. I mean, people are, you know, it's like, come on, people, you've got to be kidding me. But on the other hand, maybe you're really concerned, and you're grateful that we're putting the measures that are being put in place. And um, but you're concerned about what's going to happen, and and maybe in the big picture, you're wondering, well, you know, why is God allowing this? What's He doing? What's what's happening here? And we who are God's people, we who put our faith in the Son of God, in His Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're coming here not with panic, okay? I think we can come to this in prudence. I think we want to be wise. You know, two times in the book of Proverbs, it says that the, um, the prudent man, he sees danger, and he takes refuge. And the, and the simple person, or the fool, they just kind of keep going and suffer the consequences. So, you know, we see this coming. It's, it's coming to us, and so we're going to be prudent. We, wanna, we don't want to put ourselves in, in front of it, right? And that's not lack of faith. That's just, that's just you know, taking the, the wisdom that God has given us. And it's, it's loving our neighbors, right? We don't want to pass this on to other people. On the other hand, we also want to put our focus in the right place. And that is to have eyes of faith on the one who is in control in what we think is out of control, or what we feel is out of control. And so today I'm stepping out of Luke, and if you have your Bibles, you might want to crack it open to Psalm uh, 46. And we're going to put our, our focus on the one who is our refuge, our strength, and I probably should dismiss Children for Children's Church right about now. So, uh, kids ages one, not age one, age four through first grade, you can follow Mr. Preto out the, uh, the north door right now. We're a little out of, out of order here today, but that's okay. We're looking to look with eyes of faith. So we're going to be putting our 
our focus on the one who is our refuge, our strength, our life in the midst of calamity. So, if you have your Bibles, this is Psalm 46, and I'm reading out, out of the NIV. For the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come and see the works of the Lord. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So Lord, we want to take these words to heart. We want to digest them into our souls. So now as we look deeply into them, would you give us grace to know that you are our refuge and strength. And give us grace to be still and know that you are God. Work in us and through us today. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Lord and God. Lord Jesus, in your name I pray these things. Amen. So the big point of this psalm, I think, is we don't need to be afraid in calamity because our God is with us. We don't need to be afraid in calamity because God is with us. And so this psalm breaks out into three sections, or three selahs, as you heard me mention as I read it. We'll talk about what selah means. But the first section is about God is with us as our refuge and strength. He says, God is our refuge. That's a place of cover, a place of shelter, a place of protection. And that's who God is for us who know Him. He is our strength. That is power to do something or to act. And it's not our power. 
It's his power at work and his power at work in us. An ever-present help in trouble. Literally, help in trouble well proved. That is having a track record of being faithful in adversity and calamity. You know, as you read this book, this God's story, you see that to be true over and over and over again. But you know what? God is writing his story in each one of us as well. And how many of us, in the midst of calamity, in the midst of adversity, have seen God be our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble? You know, for many of us in this room, this coronavirus, it's not our first rodeo with adversity, right? It's not God's either. He has a track record. He's a track record with you. He has a track record with me of being our refuge and strength, that ever-present help in times of trouble. And so the conclusion of these few sentences is, therefore, we will not fear. I don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Even though, even though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with surging. See, these are earthly things that we tend to lean on as our foundation sometimes. And they're crumbling. They're quaking. They're not holding up. And isn't that kind of what's happening around us in some ways? I mean, this coronavirus, you, you know what it shows us? It shows us that science is not our savior. Right? We're right here in the med city. It's coming our way and we don't have an answer. Yet, it may come, but we don't have an answer. Our ability to fight disease. And it's a, if you get it, it's a crapshoot of what's going to happen to your body. Some, you know, it's just a low-grade fever and it's gone. Some, it's taking them to the grave. So we don't know. The best we can do is avoid it. And look, I'm not trying to downplay modern medicine. I'm not trying to throw it under the bus. I'm just saying it can't be our refuge and strength. That, it's not our God. We can't do that. <laughs> Secondly, if you've been following the, the financial markets, this coronavirus has affected the stock market. It's plummeted. I look at my, my 403B. Wow. Glad I'm not retiring this year. Okay, because it's, it's, it's melted. It's evaporated a little bit. It's not because of bad business practices. It's just bad circumstances. And even, even if you weren't invested in the stock market and you have wealth, it's not a protection against this coronavirus. We've heard about celebrities today, this week, right, that have caught it. Tom Hanks, basketball player Rudy Gobert, Sophie Trudeau. If you don't know her, she is the wife of the Prime Minister of Canada. I just, that's for my wife right there. So, 
But, you know, hey, wealth is not your protection. It's not going to save you. This virus is no respecter of your bank account. And, the, and this, is, this one's a little, a little different, but I, I only have AM radio in my car, so it's either, it's either you know, talk radio or it's, it's sports. And so I've been on the sports stations, and it's interesting. You know, they, they talked about how when 9-11 happened, how they were so grateful that sports came back because it, it helped bring normalcy, right? It was a distraction. Well, the NBA is out of commission. There's gonna, not going to be any March Madness. Maybe May Madness, but I don't think so. I think that's done. And sports you know, channels, they don't know what to do with themselves. What are we going to talk about? Because there's no active sports right now. There's only so much you can talk about Tom Brady and where he's going to go as a quarterback. Right? But it was interesting. I was listening. I heard one listener call and said, you know what? I'm actually so glad that sports are canceled because it's kind of been a wake-up call for me to look at what's really important. Because I was using sports just to kind of, as a coping mechanism, to as a distraction. And there are things I've been neglecting, like my family or even my relationship with God. And this is on public radio. I mean, not NPR, but, you know, CBS Sports Radio. It's amazing. So sports, <laughs> it might be a, a distraction, but it's, it's a bad God. It's empty. And other things, right? Our jobs, our career, uh, maybe national security, what we think our government can do. Costco's a bad God. They're running out of toilet paper just like that, you know? Our friends and family, people we hope are going to be loyal and faithful to us. Even they fail us. And a sovereign God allows these things to tremble and to quake at times to show us they are a false sense of security. They're a false hope because they're subject to change. But he isn't. But he is not. He is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. So, we come to this word, Selah. And it's a Hebrew musical term. We don't know exactly what it means. But we believe it means stop for a second. Pause. Think about what was just said. Take in, take stock. And so my question to us is, are there some earthly things that we've looked to that have been shaken? And we discover that they're a bad God. They're a bad refuge and strength. And then also to look back and see where has the Lord been your refuge and strength in the past? Because you know what? He has not brought you this far to leave you. He's not brought me this far to leave me. He has been faithful in the past and He will be faithful now and He will be faithful in the future. We need to call this back to mind. And even today, when I'm done, we're going to respond and worship, and then we're going to have our elders represent us before God and pray. Pray for this situation. But praying to God is not a vain exercise. 
It is not a vain exercise. We are calling upon the one who has the whole universe in his control. And just as Hebrews 11, 6 says, that without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone that comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we're going to come with that faith. So just a moment I'm going to ask you just to take a moment to think, you know, are the things I'm putting my faith in, I, I ought not to. They're being shaken. But also recall to mind where God has been faithful, where God has been your refuge and strength. So I'm going to sit down for about 30 seconds and just call that to mind, okay? You two at home, you do it too. Okay, we're going to continue on with this psalm. Number two. This is the second Selah, the second section. God is with us as our provision and our help. Look at verse four. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. And so the psalmist paints this picture of this River streaming through the city of God, which is Jerusalem. And it's the most high place because that's where God has his temple. That's where he dwells, at least in this, this Old Testament um, rendition. But the, the river thing is not really easy to identify because a river doesn't really run through Jerusalem. You know, as... We look at passages like Ezekiel 47 and Zechariah 14 and Revelation 22. It points to a future heavenly Jerusalem where a river runs through it. And there are, there are trees and crops growing up alongside of it. In fact, in Revelation 22, it talks about how the leaves that come from those trees are the healing of the nations. So it's a beautiful picture of where history is going and what God is doing. The present situation is, what, what are you talking about? What is this about? But the river represents God's provision. God's provision. And there is a spring in Jerusalem called the Spring of Gihon. And it feeds into a pool called Shiloh. Okay? And that is God's provision. And there are two things we need to see here. The God's provision, this river, is God's presence. God, look at verse 5, God is within her and she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. The nations are in an uproar, kingdoms fall, and he lifts his voice and the earth melts. 
So, perhaps the original context in which, which this was written was actually in a time of crisis back in the kingdom of Judah with, with two kings. Two kings. And God uses river language as he addresses these two kings. They're a father and son. The first is named Ahaz, king of Judah. Ahaz was son of Uzziah, but he wasn't a very good king. He wasn't a bad king, but he was not a great king. He flirted with foreign gods. He flirted with foreign influences. But to Ahaz, God says to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, 14, I will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive. And you will call him, and he will be born, and he will call him Emmanuel. You know where we quote that oftentimes? When we get to Christmas. Matthew 1, 13. The virgin is with child. And she'll, you know, she'll conceive and bear a child, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so ultimately, that's fulfilled in Jesus. But let's get back to what happens here to Ahaz. Because God is not happy with where Ahaz is taking the country, his influence. And so he says this, again, this is kind of river language, because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh, remember we talked about that, this is God's provision, and rejoices over Rezin, Rezin's the king of Aram, and the sons of Remelah, therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the Euphrates. He, the king of Assyria, with all his pomp, he will overflow all its channels and run over all its banks and sweep into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, and reaching up to its neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land, Emmanuel. So God is going to bring some judgment or some punishment upon Judah, but he's not going to allow it to fall. And then he says, kind of mockingly to Assyria, raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands, prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy but you will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. And here's where I'm going. Ahaz will die, and the king of Assyria will come down, and his son Hezekiah will be the king. And Hezekiah has a change of heart. He leads the people towards God, but yet this threat is coming. And when the king of Assyria comes, and his name is Sennacherib, he mocks God. He mocks Hezekiah. says, you're going to put your faith in the Lord? You know, i got lots of nations I've already conquered, and they put their faith in their God, and look what happened to them. But this is how Hezekiah responds. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria and the vast army that's with him, for there is a greater power with us than with him. For with him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles. And so the rest of the story is this. 
Sennacherib brings his army, surrounds Jerusalem, again mocks God, shakes the fist. Isaiah and, and Hezekiah come before the Lord, say, listen to what Sennacherib says. And all of a sudden, God brings Egypt out. And Sennacherib realizes he needs to go back and, and cover his, his tail. And as he's in camp, the Lord kills 187,000 of his troops. And he has to hightail his way back up to Assyria. And he dies. And Jerusalem is saved. All because the Lord is with us. Even more so, in the new covenant, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's a crisis. And the crisis is not the coronavirus, folks. It's not World War II. It's not whatever crisis you may bring to bear. The crisis is this, that we in ourselves cannot come before a holy God on our own. We are stuck. We are bankrupt. We are facing nothing but judgment. What are we to do? What are we to do? You see, every one of us is going to die one day, whether it's coronavirus or something else. What are we to do? And God's solution is Emmanuel. His solution is Emmanuel. God will put on flesh and live among us. God will come to save us. You see, this Jesus who comes as God in the flesh, He is that river of life. He is the one who brings the springs of living water. He is the Savior who is born into a broken world and lives this life. But He never succumbs to sin or temptation. He lives a life that we couldn't. And He came to reconcile us to a holy God as He dies for us in our place to take on our judgment. And He overcomes death for us and gives us His life, those who put their faith in Him. He says, in this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. He says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. He wants to live his life in us and through us, through his Holy Spirit. And he says, nothing, nothing is going to separate you from my love. Nothing will separate us from his love. Ultimately, Emmanuel God with us is fulfilled in Jesus. And that's where we can put our faith, even in the uncertainty of these times. He is God's provision for our eternal protection. And I, I just want to say this. If you've not put your faith in Him, you're not in a place of divine protection. But He can be yours. Because his word says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for you, for you. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, doesn't have to face that judgment. But if we put our faith in him, we can have eternal life. Jesus, 
Emmanuel is our presence and our protection there. And verse 7, and this, this, this just caught me. I don't know if the psalmist put this in here purposely, but I'm just going to bring it out because I noticed it. It says this, The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Great images. The Lord Almighty, that is Yahweh Sabaoth, that is the, the God of angel armies. And the God of Jacob is our fortress. The God of Jacob, that's what caught me. The God of Jacob. If you know about Jacob, he's a bit of a scoundrel. He's not a righteous dude. But God gets a hold of his life and changes him and transforms him and eventually takes him from Jacob, the deceiver, the supplanter, to Israel, to a prince with God. And that just gives me hope. Because, you know, folks, I want to be like Jesus, but I'm not there. I stumble along the way. But if he's the God of Jacob, the scoundrel, then he can be the God of Nathan, the guy who, who drops the ball along the way, who is not always consistent with him, what he believes and what he does. And so we come to Selah again. And my question is, what is your expectation and experience of God's presence and provision in the midst of trouble? And more specifically, how have you experienced Jesus as Emmanuel, as God with us? So I'm going to ask you, again, we're going to take a few seconds here and ask that question. And then we'll keep going. All right, the third section of the third Selah. God is with us as he sovereignly calms calamity. God is with us as he, as he sovereignly calms calamity. Look at verse 8. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. 
Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You know, history is going somewhere, folks. It's not just a random set of circular patterns that happen. And it's going to end up in an eternity where all things will come under the submission and the authority of the living God. And much of history is filled with wars where one nation or one people is seeking to dominate or control another group instead of submitting to the Lord and and being satisfied with, with what they have instead of looking to the God of the universe. And you know, our modern world may say, hey, let's give peace a chance, but you know, that really isn't happening. But as history winds down, the picture that Scripture paints is a picture of the nations eventually even warring against God himself, against the Lord, against his people, against his Messiah. And God puts a devastating end to that, even as he put a devastating end to the Assyrians. And this is, you know, the devastating force that God uses. It says, verse 8, see the desolations that he has brought to the earth. It's like scorched earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns a shield with fire. And in Revelation 19, 11 through 16, you see, a, you see Jesus returning as a victorious warrior with a sword that strikes the nations. And the message is clear here. Stop. Be still. And know that I'm God. And all that that means. Quit running around in panic. Or quit running around in in trying to resist, even. And for our world, for individuals who have yet to put their faith in Christ... It's a call to stop resisting Him. And rather to respond in faith. Because that's where life is. 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says, This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Not someplace else. It's in His Son. And whoever has a Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. History is going someplace, and God is sovereign over it. He has control. In fact, he's probably been waiting very patiently for most of us to turn towards him. But you're either going to submit to him because he's going to take full control, or you're going to submit to him as you have trusted him in surrender. Either way, either way, he says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. We can either surrender to him by faith and receive the life he has, or we can resist and have him use his power to put us in full submission.
and experience his judgment rather than his life. But for those of us who have put our faith in the Lord Jesus, doesn't this humble us as well? Doesn't this kind of make us pause? Because we can get worked up in ourselves, right? What are we going to do? What's going to happen? And it's a call to trust God. To remember that He is God. That He has this in His hands. That He is sovereign. He's got history in His hands. He's got coronavirus in His hands. And whatever trouble you're experiencing, whether it's now or in the future, He has the authority over it. And we may need to... In knowing that he is God, we may need to respond and say, I need to repent. I've been going my own way. I need to go his way. We may need to be diligent or just endure. Because it gets worse before it gets better. And we just may need to be still. And again, recognize that he is in control. Rather than we are in control. You know, God has blessed the United States. He's blessed us so much. The problem is we look to our blessings rather than the blesser. We look to those resources rather than Him. And so it's an opportunity to be still and know that He is God. And even if I might suffer loss, even if you might suffer loss, if you're in Christ, nothing is going to separate you from His love. Nothing is going to separate you from his life. Because he says, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. He who believes in me, even if he dies. She who believes in me, even if she dies. You will live. You know, folks, I, I've said this before, but five years ago my dad died. He's a world-class wrestler, won a, a bronze medal. It's not doing him any good right now. But he put his faith in Jesus. And he's alive and well right now with him. <laughs> to live as Christ, to die as gain. And I'm, I'm not a doomsday guy. I'm not, I don't have any death wish. I'm just saying that our hope is this. God is in control. And what God has for us is better than this life. That's a great place to put our faith, to put our hope, to walk in that. Again, repeating it again, the Lord Almighty is with us. He is with us. The God of Jacob. <laughs> the God who reaches out and calls imperfect men and women to himself. He is our fortress. Because God is with us. And that's where I want us to be as we face the uncertainty of what's going to happen in the next few days. God is with us. We don't have to worry. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up and we're going to respond an affirmation that God is God and He is God alone. But let me pray as, as they come up.
So Lord, we want to respond to your truth. Would you give us grace to do that today? And that is going to take faith. But that means we have to put our eyes and fix them on you. So Lord, as, as one man said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Do it in your work in us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand as we respond.